Have you ever had a good encounter with somebody on a long haul flight? Never, because it's always the worst. No one? You've never like made friends with somebody you're sitting next to? I purposefully put on my earbuds even if I'm not listening to anything as soon as I sit down so that I'm not friends and then establish my armrest and then that's it. I locked in. I'm not the best. Actually, I am the best person to travel next to because I would want me sitting next to me because <laughs> I, I don't talk. You know, that's what you want. But you could be missing out on meeting the love I'm of your life or doubtful. something. I'm not in my best frame of mind on the plane. Like, I look like crap. I'm like dehydrated. I'm tired. I, I, I don't want to make friends. Have you had any good times on the plane? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I have. I, there's been a few that stood out to me, but yeah, I remember sitting when I was 18, sitting next to this Austrian guy who had these snakeskin cowboy boots that I was very impressed with. And then on the other side, I was sitting next to a businessman and the three of us were in the emergency seat because we were all like over six foot tall. Um, and we really bonded. I bonded with these old dudes and it it's was like a tall people club. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just kind of tip your hat when you see somebody tall and you, everyone's got the emergency seat, you know why they do. Yeah. Well, see, you're just a friendlier person than me, but we have not had the same experience as this week's bird's parents who met in an amazing story via air travel. I know. I mean, this is the stuff movies are made of. Honestly, it is. I, it sounds made up. It's the stuff that dreams and stuff are made of, but it actually happened. And the fact that they're still married is crazy balls. But it's not even this story. So this week's birds, Soraya Lapreed, who is a music producer um, and DJ, her whole friggin' life is a movie. And it started from when her parents met on a plane flying to New Zealand however many years ago and then since then just live in the dream. Totally. Her life is full of true gems storytelling wise. There's We've got like plain love and Michael Jackson and um, playing your first DJ gig at the stand-in and you know moving to LA from New Zealand and it's Amazing. Also, there were just so many good stories. There's some good stuff around um, American culture, like the whole racial divide here, comparing to what that's like in New Zealand. It was super um, interesting talking about as two like expats ourselves living in the US. It's interesting to hear other people's perspectives. And from a personal note, I very much enjoyed her New Zealand accent growing up in New Zealand myself, it was a real throwback. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think it brought out some of my Australian accent as well. So I think with that, we'll move into our interview with Soraya Lepreed, who is a music producer and DJ. So you guys are going to be blown away. You're in for a good one. I do really want to start with your parents, how they met, how they ended up in New Zealand. Okay, so my mum is a beautiful woman from Iran. She went to Harvard Law and she's just like the most bossiest lady that I've ever seen in my life, like such a, such a role model. My dad is a musician. He is from Alabama and he was in the Commodores. He was the bass player. 
my mum and dad actually my dad was on tour it was 1986 maybe 87 and it was like the end of the tour I was going to New Zealand my mum had a boutique she was traveling from Hong Kong and they both had a stopover in Sydney or I guess he was going from Sydney and he saw her in the airport and her friend they had you know all the cases and it said the Commodores on the cases and stuff so she, her friend was like oh my god it's the Commodores there's they're amazing I saw them in London like they're so cool and my mum was like, whatever, who cares? Like, I don't even know who they are. She was not, she's not interested in music at all. And my dad went up to her in the, in the line at check-in and said, hi, what's your name? And she was like, I have no name and walked away from him. And he was just like, oh my God, like, <laughs> why? Like, you, he's a ladies man. Like, he got yeah. a lot of women, I have to say. <laughs> and he was good looking, like, in that time. So he got on the plane. My mum was sitting in economy her and her friend were separated. Her friend was in between two nuns and my mum was in between two of the crew up from the show. And they were in economy and they were all chatting her up and her friend was so jealous. Like, why did you end up over there? <laughs> I'm over here. And my dad actually came from first class, walked to the back of the plane, saw the guy that was sitting next to my mum, pulled him up and talked to him and then he sat down in the no seat way. and my mum was like oh my god and then he just talked to her the whole time invited her to the show she played hard to get like she wouldn't hang out with him she brought 10 friends to the shows just so that he wouldn't get any ideas at the end of the night they went and said thank you and they were leaving and my dad got off the bus like when everyone was leaving and he got out and was standing on the road and was like you're gonna have to take me back to the hotel now no and way. he just like chased her they had dinner, he left, he went to America. Shit, they talked on the phone, and then, I don't know what happened, but they just, like, developed a bond, and then they saw each other. Maybe three months later, she went to America, they saw each other, and they got married after two weeks. That's and they're still married now. Crazy. Can you see that love in them now? Oh my god, they're, like, obsessed. Like, if I go into their room or something when they're asleep, they're, like, totally interlocked, like, hugging. Like, they love each other so much. But That's nuts. It's just timing. Like, I'm wondering what flight that was because <laughs> I'm trying to, like, oh it's my kind god. of amazing. I mean, I feel like that's everybody's dream when they get on a plane. Like, yeah, some famous guy. Yeah, or <laughs> <It's> anyone. <laughs> you. Yeah, that's nuts. Okay, and then, so what happened? Your dad left the band and you moved to New Zealand? Well, it was, the band, Lionel Richie had already left the band, so... Um, he went to do a solo career and that's when I think he did Dancing on the Ceiling or like one wow. of those big hits that he did. So th they took a break and they, the Commodores did Night Shift, which they won a Grammy for, which wow. was their first and only Grammy that they won. And it wasn't with Lionel, which was kind of crazy. That's nuts. I don't know. I guess it was just time. Like the band was going through changes, like members were changing. The manager actually passed away and then my dad was about 38 years old and he'd done it to the end like they'd had so much success and done everything they were with Motown so I think it was just time for him to like relax but what a shift to go yeah. from that to New Zealand to New Zealand but it was good for him I think <laughs> I think he was a party boy and he kind of needed to chill out a little bit <laughs> yeah and, and your mum as well like your, your mum ended up in New Zealand yeah. far from where she grew up yeah do you think that's a little bit of a maybe something that they bonded over I think so, but I think also, like, they were just such travellers, like, she went to boarding school in Boston at the age of 14, so mm -hmm. she wasn't so Persian, like, stuck in Iran and then just came, 
so she kind of was used to being on her own and she just I don't know they were both kind of travelers they still travel they go to India they go to Hong Kong Europe like they love going places that's nuts so what a story yeah <laughs> they're cool <laughs> what about do you remember the time that you realized like who your dad was or where he'd come from I do it's actually the tightest story ever so I was about eight years old my dad always had a studio at the house. He always did music. I was always around music as a child. But I never saw him, like, doing shows or, like, anything like that. And so, um, Michael Jackson came to New Zealand. Sorry, who's that? Yeah. You know, <laughs> just casual MJ. Yeah. Came to New Zealand for the History World Tour, which I was eight, so that's Santa Claus. Like, Santa Claus came to <laughs> New Zealand and it was, like, I remember my dream. watching that on TV. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. It was the one when he had the tank, you know, and he stops the tank, and it was oh, crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was so tight. So he booked some shows. He booked three shows at in Auckland. They all sold out within, like, an hour. They were done. It was so hard to get a ticket. And I wanted to get Michael Jackson's autograph. And I asked my dad. I was like, Dad, he's staying at this hotel, and some of my friends are going, and their parents are taking them, and I want to go, and I want to get him to sign heal the world like whatever I had like some CD and my dad was like oh my god okay I'll take you so I didn't know anything about who my dad was like that so we went there we went to the hotel we were standing in the lobby and then the security guards came down and there was lots of people in there and this is like 1997 or something so there's no black people we're the only black people in Auckland at that point so we were standing in the lobby, Michael Jackson comes down, all the security guards push us up against the wall like, Michael's coming, everyone get back. He comes down, he looks across the room, he sees my dad, he walks over to my no, dad, he doesn't. gives him the biggest hug, and is like, oh my god, no. Ronald, I haven't seen you in so long, what are you doing here? You're the only bass player I know who played a hole into his bass guitar, because my dad's guitar is all chipped, like the wood oh is chipped, because he plays so hard. I'm shocked at this point. And then he looks at the security guard. He's like, from now on, you just watch this guy and wherever we are, like, he's with me. No like, way. So we hung out with Michael Jackson for, like, Shut up. two days or whatever and went to all the concerts and, like, I have a picture with him and, like, it was so cool. That's insanity. And um, I remember after that, I was thinking about it, like, you know, I was all whirlwind was over and I was thinking about it and I looked at my dad and I was like, Dad everyone in the world knows Michael Jackson and he was like yeah and I was like but Michael Jackson knows you and he was like yeah and I was like that is the tightest thing ever like that's so that's crazy. crazy that's so surreal yeah it was surreal and then like obviously I got older and then I loved his music like I knew the Commodore's music and I listened to it but then you know you go out and you meet people like I came to LA and I met like Diana Ross and all these different crazy people that he knew it's just such a legendary time that he came from yeah definitely we were talking about this a little bit earlier before we started recording but are you sort of grateful to be, have grown up removed from definitely America? I think I think uh, the industry is such a consuming thing like it can just take your whole life and if my dad had been a touring musician I probably wouldn't have such a strong relationship with him because he wouldn't have been around so much for me he literally took me to my piano lessons and like every like he was like the one who did the parent like help out at school and stuff he did everything so we're very close and I wouldn't have had that and I'm happy that like it was I was in New Zealand and just like a relaxed place no one cares in New Zealand yeah that's nuts 
Do you think there was a special bond with you and your dad if you were saying you guys are the only black people in Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, another thing, because he is from Alabama, like, he really made it a point. Like, I remember being, like, five and knowing about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, and, like, I knew about black civil rights and all the history of, like, where my family came from because we were, like, my great-granddad was a slave and he was freed and he owned his own property. So, like, we have, like, a very proud story of our heritage. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's important to know where you came from. So he did definitely, like, feel that it was important for me to know that because I grew up around people. Like, I didn't even know that I was there was other black women. Like, I went to America at three years old, apparently, and walked up to a lady and was like, you're black like me. I just thought I was the only one. Like, I just That's knew a guy. Crazy. I just knew one black guy. That was my dad. Did that cause any confusion with your mom, like, when you were little? No, I, but I just always wanted to, like, have straight hair like her yeah. and stuff. Like, it was just weird little things like that. But, I mean, you don't you don't notice things like that until maybe you go to school. And then it's, like, when kids say little funny things and then you're like, oh, yeah, like, I am a bit different. Like, I never thought about that. But it was cool. It was good. I, like, I kind of liked it. And then when I got to be a teenager, I enjoyed it. I was different. I was, like, a unique person. So... I, you know, I felt like I was special, I guess. Yeah. How do you feel here in the States? I still feel special because I'm a New Zealander and when I right. talk, like, I look like I'm one of them and then I talk <laughs> and they're like, wait a minute, where are you from? Yeah. Like, New Zealand? That's crazy. Like, they freak out. So then the question comes up around identity and I find it, like I was saying earlier to you, my parents are Polish and I kind of came home listening to stories about communism and the war and my granddad was in the camps and stuff like that and so yeah it's like knowing where you're from but also feeling so disconnected it was like kind of foreign for me and I found it very hard to process all of that information and then go to school and be Australian yeah so how how did you deal with that I think like because of how I looked I couldn't be New Zealand like you know like I think I just couldn't like I had to even in New Zealand now I've lived there I was born there I was born in Hamilton New Zealand they always ask me where are you from like and I'm like Remy Wera like I'm like Auckland I'm from here Carnell and they're just like no you're not like where are you from originally before where are your parents from you know so I just accepted it like I'm born in New Zealand I grew up there I'm very Kiwi but my dad's black he's from Alabama my mum's Persian like I grew up with all of that and I travelled a lot as a child because I went to see my grandparents so I got to go and like see it for myself so I knew it but I mean I don't know I think I always had a strong sense of who I was and I was always like I didn't mind that it was different and that like my mum was Muslim and like did her namaz and like you know we listened to the azan at my house and it was just like normal for me yeah and I didn't have a problem culturally do you think there's a big difference with how people approach um that diversity in the states as opposed to New Zealand Mm, well even here in Beverly Hills I've been with my mum and I've walked into the room or something and she's like oh that's my daughter you know they're like how can I help you and I'm like I'm just here to see my mum and then people will go oh good for you like they'll look at her and be like wow it must have been really hard (laughs) like what you went through but I don't know you can't help who you love you just love who you love I don't think my mum ever would have thought that she would be with an African-American musician from, like, she was from Harvard Law. Like, she wasn't even thinking about that, but she just fell in love with someone. That's amazing. That's Love amazing. takes you far, I guess. Yeah. 
In the article I read about you, you mentioned this incident at the 7-Eleven. Oh, yeah. 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 I didn't believe in, like, racial profiling, because that's another thing. Like, when I grew up, like, you know, my my parents, I didn't grow up in the hood. I didn't grow up, like, most African-American, like, the demographic of, like, how most of them have grown up here. So I didn't really, you know, I worked on with a rapper... And he was one of the first people I worked with when I got out here, and he was really hardcore, like, he's from Crenshaw, and he was, like, rapping about guns, taking guns to school, and, like, bloods, and all kinds of gangs and stuff, and I was just like, yo, is it really necessary for you to say all this stuff? Like, it just seems like you're trying to be so tough, and he kind of explained to me, just like, this is life, like, I grew up so differently to you, Soraya, like, people had guns at my school, like... My uncle isn't a gang, so it's really hard to walk away from your uncle when he's, like, trying to tell you to do something, you know? And it's just puts it in perspective, like, culturally, definitely, like, you have to understand that, like, it's just different for some people. Mm. It's just a different way, a different lifestyle, and, like, it's just what you're dealt, the cards that you're dealt with. And it doesn't define you, but it can definitely make it hard. Like, so I was at Seven Eleven like, a year ago with my friend... We were getting chocolates from from the store and Coca-Colas and stuff, and we were going to go watch a movie. And um, I was going to get in my car, and some police came up behind me, and they were like, excuse me, can we speak with you for a minute? And I was like, sure, what's the problem? And they were like, turn around and face the car and put your hands behind your back. And I just freaked out, because also, coming from New Zealand, we don't have guns. I've never seen a gun on a police officer. Like, it's just so not necessary. It was so intense. And I got really freaked out, and they put us in handcuffs for maybe like an hour and a half, and they were just like, you fit a description of a robbery that's been made in the area, and we need to like background check you and search your car and check everything to do with you. And it just was no evidence. Like, there was no reason for them really to pick us up, except for that we were two black kids. I was wearing baggy clothes, and like, I don't know. I just don't really know why anyone would do something like that. And it was very embarrassing, because... I was in handcuffs and I looked like I'd done a crime. I'd looked like I'd done something and police had lights on me and everything and I was just so worried. Like, what if someone drives past and sees me right now and thinks that I've done something? And it was just, the whole experience was very belittling and it just made me understand, like, I'm okay because I could have got a lawyer. I could have got out of that situation. But a lot of people don't have the resource or parents that can help them to get out of that. So they're just treated, like, so badly and there's no justice, like... They literally just kept us and said, oh, well, I guess you're not the people. Have a good night. See ya. Yeah. And we were just like, wow. Like, yeah, <laughs> wow. I was just going to ask you, like, what was that experience like with them? Was it such a, like, disconnect? Like, they're <clears throat> here doing a job, I guess, and it's not like a human-to-human interaction. No, well, it's kind of scary because, I mean, when anyone, whenever, like, someone has a gun, you don't know where their mind is. Like, I don't want to make a sudden move. I, and, like, all the things that have happened in America that you see on the news with young black people who talk back to police or the police feel threatened. Like, you don't want to be too aggressive or say anything. You just have to kind of, like, comply with what they ask of you because maybe they'll shoot you. It's would, like a law here that they can do that right. if they feel endangered. Were those thoughts going through your head? Definitely. Point? Because my friend was kind of getting smart. He's from Atlanta, and he was like, you're just picking on us because we're a bunch of black kids, and you guys are being racist, and this isn't right, and I know my rights. And I was just like, please be quiet, because... We don't. I don't want to get see you die. Like I don't want to see them say that you were struggling or yeah. they beat you up or something. Because 
it's a power trip. Like, everyone's going through it. And the police, I don't know, maybe they have, like, something that they're dealing with, but I guess they look at black kids and think, you're trouble. Mm-hmm. And I've done it before, too. I've seen black kids and been like, ooh, maybe they're going to jump me. Like, I don't know. It's just what the press and media builds up about people. It's so crazy, and I keep thinking about the, the role that education has to play, but it's almost like... That this is part of me that's like, oh, we still talking about this? Like, yeah. Still, this is still happening. But it's it, kind of it, crazy. It's crazy. And it's also, it's almost like, well, how, how do we educate people? It's been so unsuccessful for so long. Some people seem to be on board. I kind of not even know where to go. Actually, in New Zealand, like a year ago, I had a very proud moment where that all that happened with um, what happened in Florida, mm-hmm. that guy that was killed... And um, it was on video, and I saw that, and I was in New Zealand at the time, and I was in a recording studio with some of my friends, all, like, English kids or whatever, and, like, I was, like, watching the video, and I was so disgusted, and I got really upset, and I was just like, oh, my God, you guys, I can't, like, have you seen this? And I was showing everyone the video, and I was like, this is just so wrong. Like, I can't even believe it. Like, and my friends were like, yeah, you're right, it is wrong, but we don't know what we could do. Like, what can we do? We're just white kids, like... People are going to get angry at us if we say something. And I was like, you know what? Fuck that. Like, let's do a gig, all of us. And you guys are all going to help me because that guy looks like me. That could have been my brother. That could have been me. Like, if you are my friend, then you need to, like, defend me. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay. And so we did a show. We raised, like, $8,000 for Black Lives Matter in Auckland, New Zealand. Oh, crap. And all my friends came. And every musician in New Zealand, like, Shafu, Lady Six... P money like all of these huge artists there sh- like came and sang for free and they raised money and everyone came and everyone came and there was no black people there and they all came and supported it because sometimes people just need like a way yeah. to express themselves because it's scary like politics is a scary thing to talk about you don't want to like offend people and I was really scared too we can't do anything but as New Zealanders we should say that we don't fuck with that because we don't have guns we don't let police treat me like if you did that in New Zealand you would be tried like we would ruin your life like you could never go anywhere so it's just not it doesn't matter what colour you are it's just about how the police are like treating people here yeah that's amazing like that you guys did that yeah pulled it together it was really cool I was so impressed like with all my friends I mean it's so hard to think about the flip side like you're saying the police if they're going through something or not and there there is very little education around police yeah and, and they they're not humanized at all exactly and I feel like that's part of the problem too it's just like yeah we they're, they're just these awful deadbeat people that's yeah. like the impression that I get and then there are people too and but maybe it's hard for a black officer to be nice to a black person because then they're like well you're picking sides because you're black and that person's like you can't just let the black people go like you know mm-hmm. so Matt you don't know like the pressure maybe that they have yeah. within their own job and they have children and families and they have to feed their kids but it's yeah. just like I don't know like so crazy America is such a different animal okay. but it's everywhere it's it everywhere it's not just one you know like because in america like i can't even imagine in los angeles someone calling me a nigger like i can't imagine that i feel like if someone said that to me 50 people would like beat the shit out of them on the street and be like you can't say that like no one like i just can't imagine any of my friends like ever saying something about another race like Mm -hmm. it's just so educated but this isn't all of america like you know new york and la are like not i know what it's all like my cousins here for sure i mean that's why i think that's why I love living here. It, 
it's that exposure. Totally. When I, when I was younger, I really stru- struggled going back to Poland, especially growing up in Australia, because there's zero diversity. Yeah. I mean, I was a foreigner with yeah. my accent there. And now going there and you seeing people traveling, like, now there's, like, sushi places and yeah. stuff. And it's really exciting. I'm just like, good for you. And it's it, awesome. It's coming along, but, like, wow, we're still here. And that's the thing. It's, like, in our generation, like, what I would hope is that, you know, it's, like, now if a white girl wants to have braids and em- embrace the culture, then we get mad and say, well, why are you trying to be like us? Why are you making your lips big and your ass fat and your fucking hair, like, in braids? Like, why are you doing that? But why not? Like, let them embrace it. Let them be, feel a part of it. And we need to welcome it. Like, I want to welcome my friends. That's why I wanted to do that gig with all my white friends because I wanted them to feel like they, like, say something. Like, don't be afraid to, like, speak up for what you believe in, even if it's not to do with you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think that's awesome. I mean, okay, well, kind of, kind of unrelated to that. Let's put it aside. Yeah, that's <laughs> Talk a bit about what you do and music and stuff. And I read again that you, your dad didn't want you get into the industry. Hell no. So <laughs> what, you know, what was it about music that really sort of just made you decide that, no, this is, this is what I want to do? I mean, I think I just always thought that I would do, I don't even know why. Like, I just always loved music so much. I grew up... I don't, my dad didn't even push it on me. Like, mm. I would sneak into his studio and play with all of his equipment, and I wanted, like, I saw a girl playing the piano when I was, like, five, and then I was like, Mom, I want to do that. I need to do that. Like, you have to go and get me piano lessons right now, and I made her start doing that. And then I just, like, remember I would play Beethoven. Like, I remember I learned Furlese by Beethoven, and I started flipping it, and I was like, yo, this could be really sick, and my dad was like, that's what James Brown did with It's a Man's World, and it was just so crazy, like, I just always wanted to, like, I just always experimented with music, and I listened to Nina Simone, and, like, all Motown stuff, and the Beatles, like, I loved Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club, and I just always loved it, and then I got 18, I think I started working in a boutique and then I did that for a couple of years and I was like, I don't, I'm just over it. I want to be a producer. I want to like go to school for music and just start focusing on it. And my dad fought with me so much and was like, don't, even now he's like, what are you doing? Come home. Like he doesn't even want me to like be out here because he knows how hard it is. It's just such a hard thing, but it's just a curse that I, I have. Like I just have that bug. I've always had it. Do you think part of it's inherently knowing that he was successful too? I mean, I feel like... Yeah, maybe. We all kind of grew up loving music. I love music. <laughs> I love the Beatles. But it never was something that I was like, well, this is I can do it. Do. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, because I grew up around him and, like, I met so many people who did it and I saw what it took. It's, like, so much work, but it's fun work and I knew that you could do it. I knew that if you worked hard, like, whatever you do, if you work hard, you can make it happen for yourself. Was your mum like, what about law? Law is good. <laughs> no, my parents actually were really cool. But my mum's really cool, like, about you can do whatever you want to do. She was always supportive. Like, she, like, bought me all my gear and stuff. Like, when I graduated from school, like, she helped me because my dad wouldn't let me use any of his gear. <laughs> oh, wow. So she, like, helped me out and stuff. But it's just all I did. Like, you couldn't deny me because I was such at school. I was such a bad student. Like, I, ne- I wagged. I ditched mm-hmm. class. Like, I was so naughty and... Like, the teacher would talk and I'd just hear, blah, 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 blah. Like, I just couldn't do it. And then I went to music school, and I graduated top of my class, and all my teachers loved me, because yeah. it's just what I wanted to it's do. where your love was. 
And then what about producing? Why that path? You know, I'm a Capricorn, so I'm, I'm bossy. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> See, I knew that we <laughs> we're, we're, fine. Were, yeah. <laughs> we're in sync. So, you know, I always like well. I just always wanted to be the boss, so I did research. I was like, you know, maybe I want to be a conductor. At first, I thought I wanted to be a conductor of an orchestra when I was really young, and then I started researching, and then I found people like Quincy Jones and Rick Rubin and Jay Dilla and, like, all of those guys, and I was like, that they're, like, the people behind it, and that's what I want to do. I want to be, like, the person behind it, and I want to work with all different kinds of people and, like, bring magic to what they're trying to do. I want to, like, help everyone and do different things. I never wanted to be a singer. Because I just, like, listened to Nina Simone and stuff, and I was like, no. Like, <laughs> I don't sound like you, so I'm not about to do that. Like, I'm just going to leave it up to the people who are good at that. But there's something that I can do. And then I started producing, and I went to school for engineering in Hollywood. It was, like, the school of rock. There was, like, a level for drummers. There was a level for bass players, a level for singers and producers. We were all kind of in there. So I started scouting, like, artists. <laughs> <laughs> like awesome. made an album like it was crazy it was just I just liked it and I just fell into it and I think I'm good at that I'm just good at like producing work well what's that relationship as a producer and a musician are you sort of giving your two cents on like what it should be like or yeah definitely I mean I think people work with you because they respect your ear or like what you bring to the table but also as a producer, like, if I work with an artist, I'm not trying to make them be something that they're not. I want them to be who they are, and I just want to enhance what they have and, like, make whatever they have as great as it can be. And sometimes, like, there are some artists that you need to do a lot more work. Like, you need to write everything, and you need to, like, really push it. But some artists have a very clear view of what they want, and they're, like, very much themselves. So you just have to let them do what they do, and you just, like, help. Is there anyone you're working with right now that you're really excited about? You see, like, a big future for? Oh, everyone. All my friends are so cool. I work with my friends, too, so that's, like, the tightest thing ever. The job sounds terrible. <clears throat> yeah, it sucks. <laughs> I hate my life. So, who am I working with? Well, Azul is amazing. She's a female singer. She's from L.A. I like to call her, like, the American Bjork. Like, I just think she's so next level. She's very much, like... She performed at, like, the LACMA and MoMo and stuff. She's very, like, much an artist. And um, there's a guy called Kent. He was in the group called Overdose, a rap group, local LA rap group. And now he's doing a solo project, which is amazing. And I have some music with him. Um, I did some stuff with an awesome punk band from New Jersey called Horror. Mm. They live here now, too. They're, like, all black kids, and they're tight. Like, they don't play nuts. instruments, but they're cool. I like... <laughs> right, what do they do? What do they do? They rap and sing, like, oh, okay. scream. They have a drummer, too. What about... And you're also a DJ. Yeah, right? DJ, yeah. I'm working... I've been touring a lot with my friend Quinn. She is awesome. She just put out a song with Sid. She just put out an EP with um, Buddy and Sid that, from the internet. The internet amazing, you should look them up. Yeah, it's like the internet? Yeah, she's like the, she was the girl in Odd Future. Okay. You'll, you'll see her, she's really dope, and Quinn is like a very good friend, we throw parties together and it just started like that, and now her music's kind of taking off. We just played Afropunk in awesome. New York, in Brooklyn, which was so amazing. And who else? I mean, I went on tour with Jojo. Yeah. The singer from Boston, young That's girl, nice. she's amazing. She, like, what an icon. That so, was my first tour. How does that work? As a, as a DJ? <clears throat> as a DJ. So, yeah, what, what does that look like? I mean, 
So first I was DJing for her when she was singing, but then she got a band and she just took me on the road with her as her opening act. So I was like wow. the hype man, like <laughs> I just like get the party started before That's she awesome. came out, and I would just play like Missy Elliott and Nelly and like nice. all the shit from when like she was eight years old, and it was fun. And I had the best time. She has the coolest fans. I'm friends with her fans. Like some of her fans are really my friends now. Like she she's just like I was really lucky to go on tour with someone who. One has been doing it for long enough, but she's, like, younger than me, and, like, she's a baby. She's such a baby, but she's not so knowledgeable in music, so I learned so much from seeing her work, and just, like, a humble person. Like, she's just, like, my actual friend and, like, a very nice, self-aware, like, great girl. That's awesome. So I went on tour with her, and then all the artists that I produced for, I kind of DJ for as well. Like, it just happens What does it take to be a good DJ? Okay, well, I think, for one, you have to be able to read a crowd. Like, you have to be able to do it. You can't be a selfish DJ that's like, I'm going to play this rare shit that no one knows because it's fire and you need to know it. It's just not cool. And I think that you just have to have, like, a vast playlist of music, everything. You have to fuck with music in every genre. You can't just play one thing. I just think it's selfish. And practice. Like, working. Like, you have to go and suck. 20 times like you know and then you'll never do that again like once you make a mistake in front of people you'll never do it again you can practice in your bedroom as many times as you want but it's just about getting out there my first dj gig was at the standard in hollywood and i lied and i had no did not know how to dj but i had a controller point there (laughs) yeah i just winged it like i just got it because i dj'd for people on stage, but I just played their tracks. I wasn't mixing. I wasn't playing to a club of people that are like, I'm ready to dance now. So I lied and I said that I was going to do it and I like practiced so much. I like literally threw up. I usually throw up before every show. I don't know why. It's just my nervous wow. tick. Every, everyone has oh a thing, God. but I do that. So I was so sick. I was so nervous, like freaked out and I did it. And it's just like my advice to people that want to get into it. A lot of girls hit me up and say they want to DJ or produce. Just say yes. Just say, yeah, I can do it. And figure it out when you get there and just make yourself do it. Because you're never going to be ready. Like, you're never going to be like, okay, I can go and kill it right now. Like, just say yes. It'll mm-hmm. make the fire, like, under your butt way hotter. <laughs> That's awesome. What about, like, <clears throat> challenges in your career or having faced, like, <clears throat> moving out, out to the States? What are some things you've Well, overcome? definitely not growing up here it took a lot of time to, like, meet good people that I could trust and stuff that was like a big thing for me especially as a woman like in this industry what I do especially I make beats you know like so I'm in the studio with men until five o'clock in the morning and they're all smoking weed and it's just like such a different environment and usually women that are in a studio at five o'clock in the morning are kind of there well not always definitely not in my opinion but like what men think is like oh she's here to you know be cute and I'm trying to talk to her so it's like you do get a lot of that where men try to like say oh I want to work with you and then they you get to the studio and they're like well what do you want to eat and what movies have you watched recently and you're like do you want to work or do you want to like hang out because I didn't I brought my laptop with me so it's just kind of weird but it's all the same thing I think it's just about your moment like you work hard like I kind of feel like I've been in university up until this time and now I feel like I'm just like able to start my entry level job at the company you know like I've I've been a student of music this whole time and I think I always will be but 
you know, a lot of my friends came out here and they're like, I've got a year. I've got a year to make it. And it's just not, you know, it takes longer sometimes. Or sometimes you're just in Bieber and it happens for you at 15 years old. If you're, you know, you don't know, but you can't, if you love music and that's what you want to do, you can't think about money. You can't think about time, age. Like, it's all so many factors. And especially for women, like, when you start getting close to 30 years old, like, people get freaked out like singers they're like I've got to launch myself now because I'm gonna be 30 and no one's gonna like me but if you're a man it's so different you know Aloe Black was like 35 when his first hit single came out no one cares how old he is Mm -hmm. as a woman there's still certain things like how does she look like Mm -hmm. is she a good DJ how does she look like it's a very important thing like if you're not you know it's just there's some of that kind of sexism still in this industry do you think that can legitimately end a career? Or just somebody being like, oh, you're too old, you're not in it anymore? Hmm. I think that it can make people not take you as seriously if they, like, know how old you are. Because they're like, well, she's good because she's older and she's got, ex- you know, like, she's got a bit of age on her. But mm-hmm. I think now, like, there are people who, are, like, Erica Badu, like, Sia is not 18 years old. She's fucking sick and she's the tightest songwriter out right now so I mean no I don't know I think also if you make hit songs and you're tight then it's undeniable and that's the music should just be able to speak for itself mm-hmm. well that kind of leads me into a question that we often ask which is what's the best piece of advice you could give my advice is like never give up on yourself and if you think that you can do something don't ever let anyone tell you that you can't do it or like what do you you know like oh man you know it's kind of hard out here like we got this person, like, the first A&R that I ever met, I was A&R? in music school. And A&R is, like, a person who, it's, like, artist relations, like, they they deal with, like, this is hot, like, this artist is hot, or this song is hot, like, let's get this producer and this person together, or, like, this is the song that I'm looking for, for Miley Cyrus's next record. They're, like, that asshole in the record industry that, there was a time when I first moved here that anyone who had a million hits on YouTube got a million dollar deal, like, that's just how the fuck it was. Like, they were just giving it away because they were like, the kids like this shit. Like, we're going to do it. We're going to put money on it. So, the first time I met an a and it was through my school and they would let them come to the school and, like, they would come and meet kids and, like, hear their beats and stuff and give them advice. And this guy met me. I remember he was talking on the phone the whole time, like, texting the whole time and I was, like, playing him my music. And he was like, that's really cool, but this is what is gonna make you tight and he played that song like a g6 you know Mm. like a g6 like a g6 it was like an electro song and it was like hot like everyone was trying to do electro which i'm from new zealand so i knew mia like six years before anyone here knew who she was so Mm. i was like you're an idiot and i just sat there but if i hadn't been strong in myself and just wanted to do it maybe i would have change my art and change like what I'm working on or what my view is and like trying to be something else and that's like the biggest problem is that a lot of people try to fit what's hot right now mm-hmm. but you have to be what's hot right now like you cannot try to like catch a wave or like ride someone else's and I think that ties in with that timing thing too where it's like you're not necessarily going to be successful by 30 or maybe 40 or 50 and it's just about like trusting the process yeah you can't put a time on it like bill withers had an album with 10 hit songs on it and it came out when he was like 43 yeah. and he who the fuck he was a miner he mined in a 
coal mine or something. That was his job. And he wrote Lean On Me. And he wrote, what is it? A Lovely Day. Like, he wrote so many songs. And that was it. Like, you cannot... You cannot put a cap on your creativity and, like, you can't let people who are just trying to make money off you and, like, sell your soul to the world and sell your, like, breakup to the world to, like, tell you what you need to do. Like, I think sometimes music for an artist is just, like, you have a time, you have a moment, you have, like, that 10-year or 5-year or whatever that you just go in and you do it and that's how it is. And then you can progress, you can still do your art, but maybe you're not going to be that, that superstar that you were forever that's gonna be tough yeah that transition you have to be able to handle that because it does happen yeah so then looking ahead for the next year what's something that you're hope- you're working on or hoping to achieve if it's personal or professional well professionally I'm working on so much stuff like I'm I'm making my first project right now which is gonna be um like a producer project an album with different artists that I'm working with, but I'm also, like, it's kind of a score to a film as well that I'm going to produce when I go back to New Zealand, wow. like, with some cool filmmakers, so I'm really excited about that, because I <clears throat> would love to score films, that's something that I'm very much interested in, and I've done, like, one short film, I'm going to do another one this year, and then I really want to do it in New Zealand, because I really want to put some light, like, back home, and, like, work with artists there, because I think it's such a beautiful country, and, like, uh, there's so much cool stuff there, people don't know, so I want to, like, share my home 